Anybody who's had high school algebra? Quadratic formula. People say with great enthusiasm and great... Uh, who in this room has actually solved an equation? You'd be like, what in the world is that for, for solving quadratic equations? Most of you are like, I have no idea what a quadratic equation is. Who has actually solved a quadratic equation using the quadratic, form, quadratic formula in the last month? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, Jacob, you have? And I'm assuming it's like for a college algebra class or something? Tutoring high school kids. So in teaching, because I used to be a math teacher, and so I don't know if the kid you tutored asked you this question, but my students would always ask me, okay, why do we have to know this? Like, when is it going to ever show up in real life? Has anybody solved the quadratic formula in a way that helped you deal with real life better? Anybody? Doug? Okay, Doug's an engineer. Okay, sorry. <laughs> he owns an engineering firm, so maybe it does help. But uh, has anybody ever solved it? Is a quadratic equation, like when you're helping this student, does it make them a better person to know how to solve the quadratic equation? It may make them more successful, or in Doug's case, it may make sure he doesn't blow up his business because he understands what he's doing with chemicals and has the numbers all right. But it's one of those things we tend to think, okay, when, does it have any real-life application? I, I, I know if you're in algebra, I know I should do it because the teacher's going to grade it, and I know it's, I need to know how to do it. And I'll be honest, I was a math teacher, and even when I was a student, I was a math major in undergrad, and I could solve these problems. If somebody asked me, well, what's the meaning behind it? Does it, does it help you? I would have been like, I don't know, I just know how to do it. I'm just doing it because I'm, I'm doing it out of duty and obligation. And I can do it out of duty obligation, I can do it fairly well, but in the end of, does it have, add meaning to my life or b value? Not really. Sorry, Doug. <laughs> Sorry. Now, here's another statement that might be the same thing. Sometimes we look at fasting, which is not eating food, and we might say, okay, I know it's something that might be good to do spiritually, but I'm not really sure why. I'm not really sure the meaning behind it. I'm not really sure I could do it out of duty and obligation because I think maybe I'm supposed to. Or, and this, so, but I don't know why. I mean, is it, does it really help me in life? Or is it just like a lot of spiritual habits? Are they just things I'm supposed to do to check off the list so I don't fail the course on spirituality? Or is there something more meaningful to doing this, to fasting, to, not, to going through periods where you don't eat, because, again, it's one of those things that's kind of, you know, with, with the quadratic formula, that's a really good thing for those kind of people who really love math, which are very few. And for those kind of people who love engineering, which are really fewer, right? And sometimes we think with fasting, well, that's just for those kind of people who really want to be spiritual. And it's not really for the ordinary person, just like we think the quadratic equation has no ordinary person meaning in life. So sometimes we wonder if that has any ordinary benefit or is it just something that if you really want to be serious if you want to major in spirituality you might try this so obviously we're going to talk about uh fasting today you can go to the next slide been doing a series just started it and i'll and uh, i'll elaborate a little bit more here too uh calling it face to face with jesus and we're talking about looking at actual conversations he had with people literal conversations in the gospels and then asking ourselves okay what if we put ourselves in that conversation, what are we hearing from Jesus? What do you think he's telling us to do? How do we put ourselves into the story instead of just reading the story from a distance? 
And this is the period that in most, in a lot of church cultures, it's called Lent. And some of you, like me, I didn't, I didn't, I never heard that word until I got to college. You know, I, Lent, Lent, dryer, Lent, I don't know what they're talking about. But Lent is, and if you grew up Lutheran, Catholic, Episcopal, and many, maybe other different kind of traditions, Lent is like the traditional 40-day period but, uh, leading up to Easter. And it's not biblical, there's no biblical reason for it, but it's just a habit, a practice that Christians throughout the centuries have done. Lent actually started last Wednesday. If you grew up Catholic, if you're around Catholics, Catholics often have what's called Ash Wednesday, where they would have had some kind of a cross with ashes on their forehead or something like that, indicating a t- entering into a time of denial for the sake of spiritual well-being. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. It doesn't always become that in different traditions. But we're going to look today at what Jesus said about fasting. Because Lent is kind of a time where people think about that and try to think, well, and again, the question is, is there any real life meaning and value to it? Or is it simply going through the motions to check off the fasting list as if somehow we're getting more points on the God scorecard? Like he's giving us points for doing it? Is that why we do it? Or is there something else meaningful in my life or your life that if we practice this thing? Now, let me say this too. Um, I've had, over the years, many years, I've fasted in different forms on and off, but I'm not a professional at it. Nobody is a professional at it. I don't go fasting in caves. I don't fast for long periods of time, like 40 days in a row. So I'm just, I'll share a couple of my experiences with fasting, but please know I've had more failures in fasting um, than I have, if I call, if you can call them successes. So, um, but I'm just going to challenge you to think about what that role that might play in helping you become more abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous. What, what in the world does fasting play a part of that? How does that work into that? All right, so look at that. We're going to look at a passage. Go to the next slide here. Jesus actually has a conversation with the disciples of John the Baptist. All right, now John the Baptist, if you remember, was a cousin of Jesus. His, or actually, his mo- his mo- their mothers were cousins. That would make them, what, second cousins? First cousins once removed? I don't know what the term is. But John the Baptist was... Uh, Sent by God, so the Bible tells us, to announce the coming of Jesus, to kind of prepare the way, clear the road, so to speak, spiritually. Said he, was, he would live, he came down, he lived, spent a lot of his life in ministry in the wilderness, John the Baptist did. Said he was dressed in camel hair and he ate locusts and wild honey. So it was a little bit of a, on the scale of normalcy, he was out there a bit. But he was always talking about the kingdom of heaven is coming, repent. Turn back to God. He was getting people to turn back to God. This is before Jesus even came on the scene. So John the Baptist had gathered around him some of his own disciples. That was common in that day. If you were a religious leader of any kind, people would attach themselves to you and they'd want to learn from you. Because there were some that thought, he's, John the Baptist, he's, he's telling us something. People thought, some thought he was a reincarnation of one of the Old Testament prophets. But there was really, he, was, he had a really good heart and God was doing great things in him. Now let me say this too about John the Baptist. During this particular passage, it's more, most likely he was already in prison. He had been in prison because he was telling Herod, Herod was having sexual relationships with like his brother's wife. It was perverted and immoral. And so John had said that enough publicly that uh, Herod finally had him put in prison because his brother's wife got tired of hearing that they were doing things wrong. So John's in prison and Later on, John actually gets beheaded because of this. So, so John's in prison, most likely, during this time. 
But his disciples are still kind of doing, they're kind of still carrying on John's legacy, assuming he might get out of prison someday. And they were good Jews, and good Jews, this is all background information, but it's helpful. Good Jews in those days, if you were a good Jew, you fasted twice a week, Thursdays and Mondays. Thursdays, because that was thought to be the day that Moses went up to the mountain to get the law from God thousands of years ago in the Old Testament. Mondays, because it was the day he thought, it was thought that Moses came down from the mountain. So if you were a really good, really good Jew, a real spiritual person, the Pharisees would practice fasting Thursdays and Mondays. Even, even if you weren't like arrogant, even if you're just an average, really want to understand God kind of Jew, you still tried to fast twice a week. So John's disciples fasted twice a week, Thursdays and Sundays. Thursdays and Mondays, and, but so did the Pharisees, all right? Set the context here, and I'll read the short passage. Jesus' disciples didn't follow that. Because Jesus didn't follow that. So you might think, wait a minute, we're talking about fasting, we're telling us already Jesus didn't fast, but we'll get there, all right? So John, uh, Matthew chapter 9, and I'll read from verse 14. Just leave it on this slide here, and I'll, we'll go to the next slide in a second. And this, shows, this same account shows up in, uh, also in Mark and also in Luke. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? And this account follows the account of Jesus having a party at Matthew's house. Matthew was a tax collector, which in those days were viewed as corrupt, sinful people. There was a party at Matthew's house with uh, tax collectors, prostitutes, and other uh, what the Bible calls notorious sinners. Some people assume, which may be a good assumption, that may have happened like on a Thursday. So now John the Baptist's disciples are like, what? We're fasting, and you're you're having a feast with... Because they were confused. Like, okay, why not? So they ask him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? And they weren't challenging him because they really had a good heart for God. The Pharisees were challenging. They were trying to nail Jesus. So in the other other Gospels, you get the sense the Pharisees and John the Baptist's disciples, Pharisees kind of provoked John the Baptist's disciples to ask this question because they were trying to figure out, how can we nail Jesus because he's not being a good Jew, therefore he must be illegitimate, that kind of thing. So why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, Do the wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then they will fast when the groom is taken away from them. Besides, who would patch an old, old, old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leave an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts a new wine into old wineskins. The old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine, ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. So he's saying, fasting as was practiced, he was basically saying, that's, I'm going to transform that spiritual habit. We're not going to, because what was happening is, in those days, fasting was really kind of a way to, it wasn't meant this way initially in the Old Testament, because there were times where God's people did fast, and they were told to fast. The intention of was to fast for ways to listen to God, open, open, open yourselves up to God's voice and, and other issues like that. But what it turned into, it was a way that you showed God you were serious about your spirituality, you got a couple God points, and if you were really sorry for your sin, you would fast because you were trying to appease God. So fasting had turned into that spiritual habit as, as a way to appease God, to get God not to be so mad at me. So if I fast... And if he thinks I'm serious, maybe he'll put down, maybe God will put down his big stick. So that's what fasting had become 
unintentionally and not at all what God intended, but it had become this habitual, ritual, spiritual practice with no meaning other than get some God points and make God not mad at you. And step aside here for a second. If, if, if the only reason you're reading your Bible on a regular basis or if you want to do this Bible reading through the Gospels that Dan had mentioned that my wife has encouraged people to do, and if the only reason you're doing that is to win God points or to appease God's anger, then stop and start over again and realize you're doing it simply because you want to enjoy God. You want to learn, but you're not trying to appease God, nor are you trying to get God points to earn like extra prizes in heaven. All right, that's not why we do spiritual habits. So go to the next slide. So here's essentially the conversation here. The disciples say, why don't your disciples fast like we do? You know, their leader, John the Baptist, is in prison. They're trying to figure out, is Jesus really the one? And later on, John the Baptist actually sends the disciples to ask him that. They're trying to figure out if Jesus is the one, but they can't figure out why he's not doing this fasting thing. And he says, well, if the, you know, the wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom. In those days, if you were Jew and you were part of a wedding ceremony, which was a week long, you were exempt from those fasting days. You were allowed to feast. So Jesus is equating himself with the groom. Something's changing now. So why I'm here, why would they fast? Because I'm here with them. But he says, when the groom is taken away, then they will fast. And right now, you, you're, our way, you get the sense of maybe fasting has something to do with your connectedness and relationship with Jesus. Because he's saying, if I'm here among them in the flesh, there's no need for them to fast. If I'm here, I can talk to them. If I'm not there in the flesh, then they'll fast. Maybe there's some connection to fasting and hearing Jesus. Seems like Jesus is pointing that direction. So let's go back to, go to the next slide here. Okay, so fasting, you might think, okay, I know uh, Hindus fast, Muslims fast. I don't know if you were here the Sunday last summer. I interviewed one of the leaders from the local mosque, and he was talking about fasting. They fast during the month of Ramadan, which kind of goes, through, it goes throughout different months of the year based on their calendar. They don't eat from sunrise to sunset, and they don't drink either. And he said they always enjoy Ramadan when Ramadan falls in December. Why? Sunset is later. Sunrise is later and sunsets earlier. The fasting time is shorter. They hate it when it hits in July. Long day. But he actually said, and I'm not, I'm not mischaracterizing what he said, because he said it this way. When I said, now why do you fast during Ramadan? And he said, well... Because it earns us extra favor with God. I mean, he literally said we get, we get a, our God, he didn't say it this way, and I'm not trying to mock him, but our God points are multiplied by a factor of like five. Because we're showing our seriousness to God. Doesn't feel like grace, doesn't feel like grace, doesn't feel like the kind of thing I, I, I want to be doing. I don't want to feel like I have to earn points and get enough to win on the heaven or hell scale. But most, so fasting is not unique to Christians. There's fasting in Hinduism and Islam. And there are years ago, somebody had went on a hunger fast and died because they were fasting to kind of protest something. So fasting is used for all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. But what is the unique way in which fasting becomes part of how we relate to Jesus? Is a uniquely Christian way of fasting. That's what I want to look at today because there is, I mean, Socrates fasted, Confucius fasted, Plato fasted. So it's not a new thing. So what does fasting fit in 
to your life and my life in ordinary ways, and how is it different? How can it be different, all right? Here's the first point. Jesus expects you to fast. You know, in this case, he said, when you fast, he said, then they will fast. And then on the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about fasting, he tells them, hey, don't, when you fast, don't make a big deal about it. Don't mess your hair up. Don't get dirty clothes on so people know you're being spiritual. In other words, don't bring attention to yourself. Hey, I'm fasting today. I'm not going to eat. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, but when you fast, so the assumption is you would in some form. And, and, and then he, you know, so, but it's not, not every day, not every week, not Thursdays and Mondays. The Bible gives us no form about when or how to do it. So there's no like a legalistic mantra about fasting. But it seems as if the Bible, Jesus himself, has some expectation that when you fast or when the groom is let, when he, when he leaves the earth, then they will fast. There's some expectation that fasting has some kind of benefit spiritually. I mean, you see throughout the Bible, Moses fasted, David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, Paul. There was a required day of fasting at the Jewish festival, the Feast of Atonement. But there was always meaning behind that. There was never, it was never just an obligatory thing. Fasting in the Old Testament was often, they would often call a community fast for a time, especially in times of crisis or times of decision-making. And again, the ultimate intent was we want to hear from God corporately. It wasn't trying to see if we can get enough people fasting, we'll get God's attention, he'll do what we want. That's human fasting. That's not the kind of fasting that Jesus wants. Because we're not trying to, we have his attention. We're not trying to be more serious. It's not like yelling louder to God. So there is an expectation that somehow fasting, is, and again, please hear me, I'm not saying you should all be fasting one day a week for the rest of your lives. It, I think there's all kinds of spurts and phases and times when that happens. I haven't fasted for months. So I'm just saying, I'm just, it's not something I'm, the Bible has any expectation of when or how. All right, next thing though. When you fast, you experience freedom from what I'm just going to call, I want it now. Book of Philippians, Paul talks about people whose God is their stomachs. And let me just explain this a little bit. Um, years ago, I was, I was in a habit at one time of fasting on Tuesdays, you know, three or four months at a time. And, um, you know, I was trying to figure out what's Kathy having for dinner or one of these nights because I don't want to miss that meal. I might miss, you know, that's kind of, we think about those, I think about those things. So there's one particular, two, I was working in another church actually in town. This would have been probably 20 years ago. And, uh, and I don't know about anybody else, but I don't enjoy fasting. I don't have, uh, they're not my favorite days when I do fast. I don't get up like, yeah, it's a fast day, woo! You know, I don't do that. And this particular morning, I was just feeling particularly hungry and irritated. Because sometimes when you fast, you get headaches. I do. So I was irritated, I was hungry, I had a headache, and I was just like, so I'm at my desk in my office and doing some stuff all morning, and then I, I had to go to the, the main office or the bathroom or something, open my door, and lo and behold, in the hallway of the church office, the women of the church had set up this huge buffet luncheon for themselves. And my first reaction was, God, this is not fair. Because it was like, and there was stuff I didn't even like that looked appealing to me. I mean, not lima beans. They never are appealing to me. I would fast for lima beans for the rest of my life. If that's all I had to eat, I'd die, all right? But I remember, and it was just kind of like, I went back to my office, and, I, and you start having this argument with your stomach. You might think, oh, he's psychotic. Yes, I am. So are you. 
Because your body starts saying to you, why not? Come on. It's kind of like this, it's kind of like a, uh, what's that in Lord of the Rings, Gollum? This argument, ah, yeah, ah, yeah. you know, you're like, no, I'm, I'm not going to eat today. I'm not going to, I said I was going to fast. And then it's like, yeah, but there was those cookies out there. And wow, look at that casserole. I mean, literally, it's just, and I go out of the hallway again, I come back in. And, uh, and then what happens is, this will happen to you if you fast. What happens is your stomach finally says to you, and please, I'm not psychotic, but you know what I mean. Your stomach, or maybe it comes from somewhere else, says to you is, does it make any difference anyway if you fast? I mean, what's the big deal? Nothing's going to change. And that's where it's kind of like, okay, do I think something can change in my fast, if I'm fasting, or am I just trying to earn points? Because then nothing's going to change. That's not God telling me that. I don't think that's even me telling me that. It may be coming from another voice, like the enemy. Is nothing's going to change? Why would you do this? It's stupid. You're hungry. Eat. When you're hungry, you're irritable. You don't treat people well. So you want to treat people well, so why not eat? So I went out and got a paper plate, and I ate something I didn't even like. And it tasted worse. And I went back in the office, and I was like, what? And, you know, you, you, play these stup- you play these stupid games to yourself, but essentially, fasting helps you learn how to say no to your body. And that may, you may say, well, that sounds like asceticism. No, no. I tell guys who struggle with pornography and lust, fasting is really good practice for you. Because you learn to say no to when your body says, I want that now. It's the impulsive part of you. I want that now. I need that now. I need to tell them this now. I need to say this now. I need to eat now. It's the now, 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 the impulsive part of our wills. And essentially what you're saying when you're fasting is, my body is not the boss of me. My God is not my stomach. I will do what I believe God wants me to do, and I will let my will and my mind and my heart and emotions together take the steps I know God wants me to take. So it's not like I sinned when I ate Nellie Irwin's little Christmas cookies that she made so good in that, in that buffet that day. It wasn't a sin, but I think I missed out on opportunities to learn how to say no when my body is crying for, yes, you need it now. Yes, you need it now. Yes, you need it now. Whether it's sex, food, affirmation, whatever our body cries for. So it's learning how to say no to yourself. And that's what denial is. You say no to yourself because you believe there's something greater when you say no. It's not just learning how to say no. That sounds depressing. It's learning to say no because there's a huge yes that God's waiting to fill into your life if you, if you can discipline your heart, your soul, and your mind to do and to be the kind of person that God wants you to be. So uh, from then on out, I always made sure I wasn't fasting on a day the women had a luncheon at church. So, Okay, next one. When you fast... And this is, this is why you fast, I'll even say this. When you fast, you experience an increased awareness to God's voice. When Jesus was fasting in the wilderness, this is when right before he had just been baptized by John the Baptist, his ministry was kind of started. It was the beginning of his ministry, 29, 30 years old. He's in the, he's in the, it says, the Bible says that God led him to the wilderness, and then Satan was tempting him for 40 days while Jesus fasted. And at one point... In Matthew 4, Satan says to Jesus, see those stones over there? You could turn those into bread in a heartbeat, Jesus, and eat them. Why not? What difference does it make? That's the voice that kind of comes after you. What difference does it make if you're going to do these spiritual habits? Nothing's going to change. 
Come on, Jesus, just change it. Who cares? Nobody's going to know. And Jesus responds by quoting a passage from the book of Deuteronomy when God was giving his people manna, bread, in the wilderness. And Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's more important to hear from God than to eat. Now, of course, we might say, of course we know that's true, but there's something in what Jesus is saying there is, I don't need, my boss, my body is not the boss of me. What I need more than that is I need a relationship with Jesus. I need to hear from God. I need conversation with God. And it's not saying you can't eat and still hear God, but there's times where we need to break ourselves of the, of the impulsiveness of we always do what our body says. And again, I'm not just saying food. I'm also saying sex or certain ways we do other habits, how we relate to people. Sometimes they're more driven by our impulsive selves than the mature part of our lives that God has been maturing in us. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, here's another time. Cause I, I, when you fast, I'll say this, when you fast, and if you choose to in the next number of weeks, in any fashion, you might choose to fast for a meal. When I would fast, I'd try to do 24 hours. I would go from dinner one night to dinner the next night. I'd still drink a little bit of coffee sometimes in the morning. I'd get a caffeine headache, and that would just knock me over, so... Sorry if that's, I, I heard one pastor say one time, he, they, their, their staff would go on a liquid fast. Anything liquid we'd have, except we didn't have any, so we'd have coffee, milk, steak in a blender. <laughs> he was just joking. But there's different, there's, so there's no one right way to do a fast. But, you know, some people take a meal, some people might say, I'll skip lunch every Tuesday. Some people say, I'll skip 24 hours on that Tuesday for the next five weeks. Sometimes you just pick a day. I'm going to pick a day. This, there was one time I, I went without coffee during the whole month of Lent. And those kind of, there's, there's different ways you think about it. But again, it's not just learning self-denial, and it's not a diet technique. It's learning to say no so you can say yes to the voice of God. And you might say, well, times I fast, I didn't hear anything. Well, you, know, you may not hear anything some of those days. I'm not saying because you fast, all of a sudden God turns up the megaphone and is like, hey, now I have your attention, let me tell you what to do with the rest of your life. That's not how it works. But you do need to pay attention to things you may not be paying attention to that would, that it, when you were reading. Like, for example, there's another time I was, this was years ago, I decided to do like a 48, I'm laughing because it turned out really funny, but like a 48-hour fast, and I didn't make it, all right? And I went to this campground, a state park in northern, Indiana, northern Illinois called Starve Rock State Park. I think it's up by Chicago, I think is what it was. <coughs> so I had this big, I was in seminary, then I had this, it was going to be really spiritual and fascinating. It ended with, the night in the tent, I was at a campground. It rained so hard, my tent blew over. I had ended up sleeping in the car, and I just thought, ah, I'm going to get something. Yeah, I'm hungry. Anyway, but I at least went for 24 hours. But part of the time, I was taking a walk around the state park, thinking, okay, this is really good. I'm fasting. I feel good right now. And we get to this overlook, and they had those little things you could put a quarter in and see, you know, around the whole area. And there was a guy in front of me at the machine I wanted to get on that just was taking forever. I don't know if he had like 50 quarters or what, but it's taking forever. And I was like, I just want to look. I just want one quarter's worth of look. And, and I started getting really irritated. I was like, what can, what can this guy just, I just want to look. I just want to look. I mean, I had this internal kind of, and I remember thinking, I can't believe he's making me so mad. I can't believe I'm this mad. I've never been this mad for a long time. What's this? Who is this guy? I hate this guy. And then I stopped. 
And the realization hit me as I walked away, he wasn't irritating me. Not eating and being hungry was unmasking the irritability I already had inside of me. It could have been anything was here. Because when you don't, food is a really good way to cover up some things that your heart's crying out for. Because with the days that I fast, I'm much more irritable. And I blame it on food, or I blame it on this guy at the little quarter binocular thing, or I blame it on the car in front of me, or I blame it on my wife, I blame it on my kids. My irritability is I'm not eating and they're, they're not doing things right. No, the irritability, God was showing me things about me. So when you fast, sometimes you see things about you. And it's not all about self-condemnation, but sometimes you see things like that. Sometimes when you fast, you see things more clearly about decisions you have to make. When they fasted in the Old Testament, they would fast because they were to make a decision. It wasn't like God was trying to show them dark things about them. Sometimes he does that because he wants to set us free. Sometimes he's just trying to help them clear their hearts and their spirits so they might be able to think unhindered from the comfort that food brings. And not every decision, you don't fast for every decision, but that's why they do that. They're fasting because they want to hear God. And so when you fast, pay attention to things that you wouldn't, pay attention to the impulses that you have. Even if you're like, well, I fasted during lunchtime, nothing happened during lunchtime. Okay, but maybe in the middle of the day you're thinking about something else and you're like, I wonder why I'm thinking about that. Or when you're hungry, if you're fasting for 24 hours and your stomach kind of growls at you, maybe that's the time to even turn that into a prayer. God, I, I, wanna, I wanna want you as much as my stomach wants food right now. And I, I know I'm not there, but God can help me become that kind of person. I want to become that kind of person. So you turn your hunger or your desires into an asset for God. It's, again, it's not simply, I'm not going to eat meat for the next two months. As an aside, I wonder, do vegetarians eat meat during Lent? Just wondering. <laughs> Just wondering. Because <laughs> uh, that's not fair. They don't, what, do they, what do they say no to during Lent? green vegetables they eat the orange ones instead i don't know and i just thought about that yesterday but, was, but but so when you when you when you say no to things you're actually giving yourself an openness to hear from god so <clears throat> here's my question go to the next slide here in isaiah chapter 58 god talks about the kind of fasting he doesn't like and he's actually irritated with the jewish people because they were fasting for all the wrong reasons, which meant they were trying to earn points with God, they were trying to prove their, prove their spirituality to one another, they were trying to just be impressive, and, and they were getting called out on it. The prophet Isaiah was calling God's people out on it, which is obviously irritating to people because they thought they were doing all the right things. But then God says to them, no, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. He's, and, th and then he goes on to say, this is, when he says this is the kind of the fasting I want, God goes to list the things that result from the kind of fasting he wants us to practice. And you'll notice all these things are results of if somebody's fasting and they're hearing from God and they eliminate the obstacles in their own heart and they hear what God wants them to do, this is the kind of people you become. So this is the kind of fast I want. This is verse, uh, verse 6. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. So maybe you're an employer. Maybe if you fast, maybe for that day that you fast, you kind of think, ah, I need to be a little more generous with my employees. I need to be generous with this employee. I need to kind of think differently because I think maybe they're over. I don't know. But there's, some of there's fasting. Jesus is saying, but when you fast, somehow you start treating people better. You might at least learn some things. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. That's interesting. Don't hide from relatives who need your help. 
Because again, when you're fasting, you start, you may be getting a little another layer down about your motives. And you start wondering, oh, I wonder, yeah, I know Aunt Mary's going to call me again today and I really don't want to talk to her. I'm not saying you should, uh, you know what I'm saying. Check your motives. Then he says this, uh, then your salvation, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from you behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I'm here, and he will quickly reply. And he goes on to list other things, but the sense is, yeah, fasting, the, you can fast the wrong way all you want. I think a lot of world religions fast in a way to earn favor with God and to appease him. Or you can fast in the way that Jesus fasted and then he said that we would fast, and that is, we hear, not, we don't, we're not satisfied by bread alone, by eating, but we want every word from the mouth of God. And when he does that, he's, he might tell you things that need to be removed from your life. Maybe issues in your life that are clearly ways in which you're resisting God. Or maybe just attitudes that you didn't know were a big deal, but maybe God thinks is a big deal because it's hindering you from becoming the abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous person you know God meant for you to be. And maybe, or maybe God's giving you some sense of, a decision you need to make. How do you make a wise decision? Maybe it's, you know, a, a ministry, doing something for other people. And these are not things you conjure up on your own before you fast. You kind of let that time take its course and you see what God's trying to say to me. My wife and I get, years ago had a week together where we fasted to some degree together because it was a big decision we had to make about something. But at the end of the week, we felt like, okay, we feel like we think we know what God's saying now. And it wasn't like bells and whistles or skywriting or anything like that, but there were some clear things that we think we heard that week. And you might say, well, you, maybe you would have heard those anyway and could have eaten your food too. I don't know. I tend to think sometimes when you do that, God, God, you, God has your attention more. I don't think God speaks any louder. I simply think we hear better. So maybe you have a big decision to make. Maybe you're wrestling with something in your business or a dilemma. And, uh, you know, you don't fast... Because by the end of the day, you want the best decision to, to, to make or whatever. But you fast because you do believe God may speak to you. And even if he doesn't, that given day, you don't know what, what groundwork he may be laying inside your spirit. Because the kind of fasting Jesus God wants, he said, sets people free. Not just you, but people around you, through you. Okay, next slide, and then we'll be... So I'm just going to challenge you. Uh, this is... a. Uh, Last, the, the, you can't really read it probably, but the, the first Wednesday is last Wednesday. was the first Wednesday of Lent. It goes all the way to Easter Sunday. I'm just going to challenge you. Maybe pick a day a week. Pick a meal of a day a week. And uh, try it. I mean, six weeks, seven weeks. I mean, you're not going to die. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to die. I'm going to try it. I haven't fasted for months now. Months. Maybe even a year or so. I'm going to do it during Lent. Because I just feel like, you know, my wife was commenting the other day, maybe there's some things God may want us to hear, so maybe we should do this. So I'm just going to challenge you to consider that in some form. And I don't know, you know, maybe because your job or your things like that, you may not be able to fast all the same time, the same ways. Or, but there's certain things you can say no to. But remember, don't just say no. Open your ears to what God might say in addition to that. Because it's not just a matter of self-denial. It's, it's saying no to hear yes. All right? Then lastly, um, Jesus, we end every Sunday with communion. And uh, we do this because we believe that we're basically filling ourselves with Jesus. We're inviting Jesus into us. 
And I just noticed we don't have any bread. Sorry. Do we? Okay, okay, good, good, good. I mean, the Bible, the verse talks about bread, and we have no bread. You know, so anyway. Um, but Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And he said this later in the Gospel of John. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. So even when we take communion, I mean, yes, it is literal bread and it's juice, so you are putting something into your body. And incidentally, if you are ever fasting, don't ever fast from communion. That you're, that's kind of works against the point. But what we are saying here is, when Jesus said, this is my body and my blood, this is broken for you, this is shed for you, do this in remembrance of me, kind of take it into you, take me into you, let me... Let my words, let my promises, let my spirit give you life. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The scripture tells us Jesus was the word that came from God. Every word that comes from God. So when we take communion, it's a ritual that can become meaningless, or it's a ritual that can be meaningful, because what you're saying, every time you take communion, you're essentially uttering a prayer with your body. You're saying, I want you inside of me, Jesus, more than I want anything else. As far as I know, humanly speaking, it's not perfection, it's just this is what I want. So when you take communion, you're basically making a statement to Jesus, I, I, I want you inside of me. I want to hear you inside of me. I want to do what you ask me to do. So let me pray, and then the band will come up. We'll sing. As soon as we start singing, you're welcome to come up for communion. We don't dismiss by rows. Um, it'll be filled with the aisles with bread. You tear off a piece of the cup. You dip it in the